Well, welcome to The Crossing today. So glad that you're here and you've made this part of your weekend. And not only want to welcome those who are in the room, want to welcome those who are outside of the room. So I want to welcome our Southeast Campus, our microsites, those who are watching online, which total about a thousand people these days. So let's just welcome them. And as always, glad you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, I want to tell you about next week because I want you to be here and be a part of that. We are approaching the one-year anniversary of the 1 October shootings. And next week, we are going to spend some time remembering. We're going to honor all of the first responders. So if you are a first responder or you know a first responder, would love for you to be a part of this next week. And we're also going to spend some time talking about how God is redeeming this in our city. That we're going to send you on a prayer journey that part of our app is we're hoping that we'll have hundreds of families who will go together. We have different parts of the city where you can do a self-guided prayer journey. That'll be um, in our app where you can just go and pray with your family for our city. And so hope you'll be here next week as we venture into that and just talk about how God redeems all of this through his power. But today, today is the 18th anniversary of the crossing. Pretty, pretty amazing. It was 18 years ago, we had a bunch of volunteers show up at 6 a.m. at Lawrence Junior High School. We brought in everything we needed for church. We brought in chairs and stage and sound and lights. We set up kids' classrooms with cribs and carpets. And we opened the doors for the very first service of this brand new church. And the crossing began. And a lot has changed in these last 18 years since we met in a cafeteria at a junior high school. But what has not changed is God's faithfulness to this church and his hand that has been on us. And I believe that the highlight of the crossing of these past 18 years is actually a number. And it's this number right here, 4,326. This is the number of people who have been baptized at the crossing since the beginning. Now, that doesn't include... The 15 or so people who are going to be baptized at both of our campuses today. And I just think about that. That's 4,326 4, people that were changed, stories that changed direction, families that were impacted. And that's all because of what God is doing in this place. And honestly, my vision was not this big. When we started the crossing, I had no idea of the kind of impact that God would have. But he did. And I'm so glad that you're part of the Crossing family and part of the Crossing story with us. And so today, as we start off, I, I just want to ask this question right here. What kind of worship does God like? Have you ever thought about that? Because we come to church here every week. We sing songs together. We spend time studying God's Word together. But have you ever stopped to ask what kind of worship God likes? Well, let me just give you just a, a definition for worship. This is just the way that I've, I've summed this up. Worship is our response to what we value most. That's what worship is. It is our response to what we value most. That there is something that you really, really love. It is your team, your boyfriend or girlfriend, your hobby. If you just follow the trail of your time, your money, your energy, your conversations, your schedules, your internet surfing, it tells you what you value the most. 
And we all worship something. Because worship at its core is when you express love towards something. Some friends of mine gave me tickets to the Stanley Cup Finals with the Golden Knights. It was the game that we won. It was the first game. And there was this guy who was sitting in our section that every time the Golden Knights scored, which was a bunch of times that night, he gave everyone around him a high five. And it wasn't just kind of this kind of high five. I mean, it was this kind of high five. I mean, everybody. And you, you just waited for him. Darla was taking a picture um, at one point, and he just stood and just waited until she was done. <laughs> then as soon as she's done, he gave her a big high five. <laughs> you know, the same is true if you're a football fan. When your team scores, I mean, you, you raise your hands and you celebrate. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, then you can celebrate for the first time in a year and a half that your team won. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And let me tell you, God is okay with all of that. God doesn't mind if you love your baseball team or your football team or your, hob or your hobby. What God does mind is if those things take a higher place in your life than him. The first of the Ten Commandments, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. God said, I want to be first. I want to have the first place in your life. The problem arises when we put something else at the top of our list. When we substitute God with someone or something else. Or our pride gets in the way because we think it's all about what we want or what we deserve. Well, we're in week three of our series on the life of David that we're calling Flawed Hero. And David was a worshiper. He actually wrote a book of the Bible to show us how to worship. It's the book of Psalms. Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible, 150 chapters primarily about worship. It was God's way of saying, this is really important to me. But before David wrote the Psalms, we see his heart for worship. We see the way that he puts his heart towards God in worshiping God. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we'll also have the scriptures up here as well. But let me give you a little bit of background to tell you where we are in this story. Back when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert for 40 years, God told Moses to make a box, and this box was called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was roughly about four feet long, two feet wide, and two feet tall. And they covered it with gold. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, they kept the, the stone tablets that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai that had the Ten Commandments. They kept a jar of manna just a, as a reminder of God's provision for the people. And then Aaron's rod. But the Ark represented God's presence. That the Ark was always at the center of their camp because God wanted to be at the center of his people. And one of the commands that God gave them was to not touch the ark. And so they put it on these two long poles. Well, by the time we get to this story with David, the ark has been in storage for about 65 years. And David decides to get it out of storage and to bring it to Jerusalem. That he wants God to once again be at the center of his people. To be at the center of the people of Israel. So David takes about 30,000 soldiers with him to go pick up the ark and to bring it back to Jerusalem. And they build this brand new cart 
for the ark, and they put the ark of the covenant on this brand new cart, and they start going towards Jerusalem. Well, as they are walking, the oxen stumble, and there is a guy by the name of Uzzah who is standing right next to the ark, and he does what we would do. It's starting to fall off the cart, and so he makes sure it doesn't fall onto the ground, and he pushes it back, and immediately he's killed. Well, David is angry at God. David is so angry because they're trying to bring this ark back to Jerusalem so God will be at the center of all the people. They're trying to do the right thing, and God kills this guy. And so David decides, well, I don't even want the ark to be around me. I mean, if this is what it means, God, then we're just going to put it back in storage. And so he takes it to the house of a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. It says, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark. It has been sitting in his house for about three months at this point. And God blesses him and everything he does. It says, so David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. That the ark has been been at this guy's house, been in Obed-Edom's house for about three months. God's blessing him. And finally, David gets over his anger. He gets over all of the frustration he had with God. And he wants the ark to be at the center of God's people. He wants God to bless the people of Israel. And so he goes to get the ark. And I want you to notice this. It says, those who were carrying the ark. Those who were carrying the ark. The first time they built a brand new cart to put the ark of the covenant on. The only problem is God never told them to put the ark on a cart. God told them to carry it. It had these poles, it had these rings where they would put the poles on and then the priests would hold the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulder and that's how they went. And so this time they get it right. And it says after they had taken six steps, I don't know what was magical about six steps. I don't know whether it was, you know, nobody's died. Everybody okay? Okay. We're going to go ahead and we're going to sacrifice this sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. And it goes on. And he says this, it says, wearing a linen ephod, and why this is significant is David is not wearing the clothes of a king. David is wearing the clothes of what they would wear, what the the priests would wear in worship. He is wearing something to prepare himself for worship. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpet. Well, if you ever saw Footloose, if you saw Footloose either the first time or the second time that it came out, this is the scripture that Wren quoted because he wanted to throw a, palm, a, a prom for you know, his school. And he said, and David danced. Well, that was really not the point of this scripture right here is that they could have a prom together. What we see here is David's unfiltered worship. It is just this unfiltered worship before God. And I want you to picture the celebration that as they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem, David is dancing before the Lord. The trumpets are blaring. People are cheering that this is a good day, 
that God is going to once again be at the center of his people. It says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, Michael was David's wife, but she was also the daughter of King Saul, the former king. And she sees David coming in. And she sees him dancing. And there was something about her that she just despised him. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling about somebody where they do something and it doesn't matter what they've done, but just something inside you, you just, you just feel this disdain for them. Well, whatever spark used to be in their marriage is no longer there. It is gone. And so her heart is revealed. It says, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. Do you have anyone in your life who has the gift of sarcasm? I mean, they can make a sarcastic comment about anything. See, this is Michael. Her words are just dripping with sarcasm. How the king has distinguished himself today. My dad was the king, and he never acted like this. But you're dancing around half naked for the slave girls to see. If you're going to be king, let me tell you, you need to act like a king. And not only have you embarrassed yourself, You've embarrassed me. I want nothing to do with you. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. See, he's saying my dancing, it it was before the Lord. It had nothing to do with the slave girls. I wasn't worried about what other people would think about me. I wasn't trying to impress you. I was celebrating before the Lord. Who, by the way, chose me to be the king and not your father? Your dad may have been dignified, but God rejected him. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high honor. See, one of the problems of most of us is we are way too concerned about what people think about us. You've heard the saying, we will spend money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. I mean, this is true for most of us. Most of you have a story that you did something that you didn't really want to do or you went somewhere that you knew that you shouldn't have gone because you were afraid of what someone would think about you. For David, this is a big moment for him. He's saying, I am willing to be considered foolish in the eyes of men. I am willing to look unking-like in front of the people. I am willing to humble myself before God. And you haven't seen anything yet. 
I'll become even more undignified than this to worship my God because I'm going to worship with abandon. And then this last verse, which to me is a very sad verse. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. What this probably means is that David rejected her and he was no longer intimate with her. That, the, that she had grown up as a princess, but she will have no royal children in her life. The truth is, David probably should have never married her in the first place, but that's a completely different message that I won't get into. See, some of you understand David's response to God. Because when you were at your worst, God came and picked you up and redeemed you. And what God has done for you, see, worship has a whole new meaning for you. And you worship with abandon. See, here's, here's what we need to understand about worship. That worship is love expressed. This is what worship is. It is love expressed. See, it is not worship if it is not love. And it is not love if it is not expressed. I can't just say, well, I love God in my heart. I mean, what if I told Darla that? What if I just said to her, you know what? I love you in my heart, but don't expect me to say it. You know, don't expect me to, to express it, to hug you, to serve you, to show you, to love you. But I love you in, in my heart. For David, he's expressing his love to God. He's expressing his love to God in the only way that he knows how. It's just his whole life. See, worship is simply an expression of what you love. And any time that you are loving someone, you need to love them in, according to the way that they receive love. There's a book many of you have read called The Five Love Languages. And it talks about these five different ways that we receive love and the ways that we give love. You know, things like acts of service or encouraging words or, um, uh, you know, um, physical touch. You know, for, for Darla, when our kids were all teenagers, she had every one of our kids take this test because we wanted to find out what the love language is of our kids so that we could love them best in the way that they receive love. Well, in this, I was confirmed something that I already knew, that Darla's love language was words of affirmation. That for me, I have to remember the way that she receives love is for me to encourage her and to compliment her. But what most of us do, most of us, is we love people according to our love language. That if you love to receive gifts, you are probably a really good gift giver. But the way that people love the best is to love them according to the way that they receive love. So how does God want to be loved? Because God has a love language. God has a love language. There's a story in Mark chapter 12 where the religious leaders are trying to trick Jesus. And so they're asking him a bunch of questions. They're trying to kind of push him into a corner and try to trap him so the people will stop following him. And here in Mark chapter 12, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? This is a great question right here. This right here is a great question. 
of all the commandments, which is the most important? Because in the Old Testament, there wasn't just ten commandments. The ten commandments was almost like a table of contents. There was 613 commandments. That's a bunch. And so this guy comes up, and he says, okay, out of the 613, which is the most important one? Now, we would think that Jesus would say, well, they're all important. They're all important. You need to do all of them. But he doesn't say that. Jesus responds to this question. And he says the most important one, he goes, it is this right here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He says that if you can do this one command right here, the other ones are easy. If you can do this one command, then every other command that Jesus says is easy. But if you forget this one, then the other commands that Jesus gives are going to be incredibly hard. For some of you, let's just be honest, Christianity is hard. You feel like it is just too hard. You feel like God is asking too much from you. And you need to step back from that and do one thing. It is to fall in love. Because when you are in love, the rest is easy. And when you are not in love, it's hard. See, this is the secret of Christianity. This right here is the secret. It's not trying to obey the Bible. The secret of Christianity is falling in love with the God of the Bible. And then you you gladly obey. Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you to love. I'm going to tell you how to love. I'm going to tell you what real worship looks like. I'm going to tell you what God's love language is and how we express that love. And Jesus says that you love God with all of your heart and soul. That you love God with all your heart and soul. Can we pull that that slide up right there? He's saying that I'm giving something, my heart and soul. It is my emotions. It is everything in me. And let me kind of define this for you. It's expressing my affection to God. See, when you love God with your heart and your soul, it's expressing your affection to God. That I'm going to let God know that I love him. I'm going to express it. Listen, God doesn't want your singing and clapping. God wants you. God wants your heart. God wants your soul. And so here's the question that we ask to help us with this. What do I love the most? What do I love the most? Because what we love the most is what we give our affection to. It's what we give our affection to. You make sure that it's God. Well, here's the second way that we express our love. It's with all of your mind. It's with all your mind. See, I love that God says this. Jesus actually added this one from what was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was just love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And Jesus adds this one to love him with your mind. That God never asks you to check your brain at the door. That we focus on God with our intellect, with our mind, with the way that we think. And to define this for us, this is to focus my attention on God. I am focusing my attention on Him. I love God most when, 
when my thoughts are growing. You know, sometimes I'm on my way to an appointment and Darla will call me and she'll just say, what you doing? I'm on my way to an appointment. What's going on with you? So I was just calling just to say hi. I just wanted you to know that I'm thinking about you. Well, at that point, I want to cancel the appointment and I want to go see her. I want to go forget those people. I'm coming to see you. So here's the question. Here's the question. What do you think about the most? What do you think about the most? And then here's the third way that we express our love to God. It's with all of our strength. We do it with all of our strength. The strength is what I do. This is what you do. And here's how we define this. It's using my abilities for God. Whatever abilities that God has given you, you use them for God. The Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Do it in in the name of Jesus. And so here's the question for us. What do I do the most? When I begin to look at where I'm busy and where my, my abilities go to, does God fit into that? Is God fitting into that? What do I do the most? Worship is love expressed. It is love expressed. And David was expressing his love before God. He didn't care if he looked undignified. Listen, you were made to worship. It is the way that God created you. It is in your DNA. And the way that God wants to be worshiped, it's with all your heart. It's with all your soul. It's with all your mind. It's with all your strength. It is everything that you are that we love God in the way that he wants to be loved. In every church that I've ever been a part of, there are people who intentionally come late. And they think, well, I'm going to miss the warm-up act. I'm going to come for the main event. You know, the main event's the sermon. So I'm just coming for the teaching of God's word. Listen, the worship is not the warm-up act. The worship is the main event because God is the main event. And I have good news for you today. We have saved the worship to the very end, so that you could be a part of the main event. And what my hope is, is that this will be a moment for you to reconnect with God. And here's what I'm going to ask, is that you not leave early. We've made sure that this service is on time, so that you didn't feel like you were going to be late and need to get out of here. We just want to spend a few minutes expressing our love to God. A few days ago, I was just reading the story in the Bible about this this woman who lived a notoriously immoral life. And Jesus is invited over to lunch by a religious leader, and this woman crashes the lunch. She throws herself at the feet of Jesus, and she begins to weep. And she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she pours perfume on his feet. And this religious leader begins to think, if Jesus knew who this was, he wouldn't let her do this. He wouldn't let her give her worship to him like this. And because because Jesus is Jesus, he responds to the way this guy is thinking. And he says, let me tell you a story. And then Jesus tells the story. And the punchline was this, is that when you've been forgiven much, you love much. When you've been forgiven much, you love much. 
See, worship is love expressed. And when you've been forgiven much, you love much. And some of you have your own story. You walked in here at some point wondering if God could accept you, if Jesus would have anything to do with you. And God's transformed your life. You've been forgiven much. And now is our chance to tell God that we love him by the love language that is meaningful to him. It's a chance for us to worship him, not in just this routine way that we always do, but to come before the God who created this universe, and then he loved you enough to send his one and only son to die the most brutal death imaginable. And he did it because he loves you. And this is our chance to worship the God who has given us life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and I'm going to pray over us, and we're going to worship together. Let's just pray together. God, today we come here and we confess our sin where we have minimized you, where we've allowed our worship to get off track, to become routine, unimportant. And God, we, we choose that right here and right now, that we want to encounter the one and only God who is worthy of our worship. God, we want to express our worship with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. We are yours. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.